Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey there, and welcome to episode eight of the Beneath the Sats podcast, produced by Wicked Local North Boston. I'm your host, Rob McKittrick. Joining me today is well-known hypnotist Tom DeLuca. Tom, thanks so much for joining me. Thanks for having me, Rob. Now, Tom is the four-time National College Entertainer of the Year. He's been featured on NBC's Dateline, CNN, ABC News, The Rolling Stones. And you can check all out all this stuff on his website, TomDeLuca.com. Now, Tom, I wanted to start with how you became a hypnotist because... I know people are so fascinated in the profession. I, I read that you had your master's in psychology. You were initially a therapist, if that's accurate. Will you, will you explain how you initially got into becoming a hypnotist? Um, it was accidental. Um, I worked for a psychologist. Um, I thought I was going to go to law school, but uh, my parents did too. And they were quite shocked to learn that I'd become a hypnotist. They were hoping that I would kind of snap out of it. To use a hypnotic <laughs> term. Uh, but um, I didn't. Um, anyway, I worked for a psychologist who trained me to hypnotize people to lose weight and quit smoking while I was in college. And um, I kind of fell in love with it. Um, I think he subtly used the power of suggestion to get me to really buy into it. I remember one day as he was training me, he said, you know, you have an intangible. You're going to be really good at this. You're going to be better than I am at this. Well, of course, this, you know, was an ego bump. And right. yeah, I've never been really good at anything. Tell me more. Um, and so I bit into it and I focused on it. And uh, it is what it is. I'm doing it today. What was it, I guess, that made you uh, good at it? What was that intangible? Did you did you know what that was or what, what, what made you, um, I guess, gifted as a hypnotist? Uh, I don't know about gifted, but right. um, uh, I, I always had a really good rapport with people. I was super interested in why they thought things the way they thought things. I was a little bit of a nuisance. I asked people questions all the time. Why do you feel this way? Blah, blah, blah. Um, so I was people fascinated. And the mind always interested me. You know, why do things work? Why do we feel this way? Um, that's probably what kept me interested in it. I remember that when I first started out doing it, I was scared to death. You know, people were coming in and paying to lose weight or quit smoking. I had failures. I had successes. I was raw. Um, you know, I was learning. But the thing is, I could just hypnotize most people. You know, it just seemed to be um, in my zone, so to speak. And without, I guess, giving away any secrets or anything, how, how does it work? How, how, do you, how did you learn it? Um, are there certain things you can tell people for how you can actually hypnotize someone because I feel like if it was simple, everyone could do it. How, how did you how did you learn it? I learned by experience. You know, I was hypnotizing all these people to lose weight and quit smoking. If they didn't get hypnotized, I didn't get paid. So, I, so there was a capitalist uh, ideology there. Um, I um I watched them. I I had scripts that I used that I was uh, trained to use. 
But I also watched they, the way they reacted. And hypnosis, I mean, I, I'll try and define it for you, Robbie. Hypnosis basically in different um, definitions of this. There are a million different ways of doing it and people's opinions of it. And they really vary. As are the people you're hypnotizing. Um, they vary, too. It's not just one static state. There are light levels. There are medium levels. There are deep levels. And so uh, – I, I would say the best way of defining it for me is that you kind of bypass the conscious mind, the critical faculties, and you put suggestions into the subconscious. And we are all amenable to suggestion, Robbie, every one of us. So I would try and do that in different ways through relaxation, through confusion, through just kind of um, talking to people. And um, I kind of had a knack for it. And when you say that you know you're, you're tapping into these people's subconscious or or something of that nature, and that you're, you're it's making um, some sort of it's suggestive, um, I, I guess a quest, a follow up question to that is: Are there certain people that are going to respond differently to the same sorts of things? Is that is it something about the person and the type of reaction they have? You know, when, when you try when you try to get them in a certain state, does it depend on the individual for? for uh, what, what you're trying to do? Yes, yes, it does. that's a good question. That, that really gets to the essence of it. Yes, it's very different with people. Some people are incredibly difficult to hypnotize you and you fail. Some people are much easier. Some of that has to do with just the way they're wired. Uh, others, it has to do with getting them over fear. Others, you have to set up a rapport with. They kind of have to like you or trust you. Um, you know, I've read for years, and again, these opinions vary so differently. But it seems to me that there are about 20% of the people, if you're really good at this, you can put into a deep level of hypnosis, which is known as somnambulism. And in these levels of hypnosis, you saw me do, I mean, this is where, where we're talking. You saw me years ago right. do a show at your university. And you, you know, Robbie, when you watch that show, you thought, hey, this is for real. I mean, Absolutely. I don't know if you knew any of the people up there that were hypnotizing. I mean, what did you think when you saw the show? Let me just ask you that question. Right. So I had never seen a hypnotist. And I think my perspective is this perspective from a lot of my friends was that the things that you were getting the kids to do was no way that you could fake. It was so real. And yet it was so fascinating to see because, you know, for an example, I think, and again, this was around maybe six years ago. So um, I don't remember everything you did, but some things are very vivid, which speaks to the performance of your show. And, you know, one kid, I think in particular, um, you convinced him to think that uh, fruits were real or he loved fruits. Oh, yeah. And, and, he, and he just went on and on about fruits. And if you hurt a fruit, it felt like you were hurting his friend or someone he deeply cared about. And it was a real reaction. And it yeah. was something that you couldn't fake. So to see that from just everyday kids was fascinating. And it, to me, I was, I think with a lot of my friends, we were wondering of how can you get someone to do that and act in a way that could not be acted? And what is it about the mind that can do these things, which is why I wanted to talk to you? Well, uh, yeah, that goes back to your other, your first question. It, it, like I couldn't get everybody to do that. Okay. Right. If you saw me, I always take, whether it's a crowd of a hundred people or 2000 people, I always take about 20 volunteers and you saw me, uh, I think we did it when I went to Lafayette, we did it in the gym, didn't we? Yep. Yeah. And so, um, out of the 20, maybe I hypnotized 14 or 15. I sent five or six people back to the audience, correct? Right, right. Okay, so again, it varies with the person. And in the deeper levels of hypnosis, you can get 
um, the suggestions become very, very real. Like when I do a performance, and, and you're going to probably get to this question. When I do a performance, a lot of people say, what was it like? What does it feel like to be hypnotized? So, and this is just from experience. You know, I read, you know, different um, stories about hypnosis and how, oh, it's it's all role playing or, oh, it's uh, people remember everything that happens in hypnosis. That The fact that they forget is just a myth. But from from real on the ground experience, when I talk to people afterwards, I say, well, how do you feel about it? You know, uh, three or four of them will say, I don't remember a thing. I felt like I was up there for 15 minutes when, you know, and the performance went an hour and 20 minutes. That's called time distortion. And that's an indication of it. Other people say it was like a dream. I remember parts of it. Right. Or I remember it uh, kind of. And the more you talk about it, the more they remember it. And other people will tell me and, and really mean this. They'll say, I don't think it worked. You know, I was up there and it just I felt like you know, I knew everything you were doing. And I, I really don't think I was hypnotized. And I'll say to them, when I asked your name, why couldn't you say it? I don't know, but I wasn't hypnotized. Why couldn't you say your name? Uh, I don't know, but I definitely wasn't hypnotized. So there are levels to it. And yes, they were hypnotized or they would have said their name. Um, and there are light levels, medium levels, and deep levels. And the person with the fruit <laughs> was in a deep level, Robbie. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so speaking back to the person with the fruit or any of these people that are deep levels, when you see a reaction like that or you see any of these specific reactions, can you make any sort of conclusions about the type of individual or I guess to, to ask it in a different way, are there certain reasons why people may react in a certain way that would tell you anything about the person? Like for, uh, if you, if you think about interpreting dreams, you know, I don't know if there's any validity to that, but oftentimes people interpret dreams as to explain what is going on in your life. Can, if you see a certain type of reaction from a person, can you, can you explain anything about that person? Yeah, I think so. Um, to some degree. I mean, I, I'm not an expert at this, uh, right. uh, interpreting dreams. Or, but I will tell you that people that are good subjects usually have a, can focus really well, have really, really powerful imaginations. I mean, you're talking about the deep subjects now. And right. people that, um, you know, you can say to them, you can put a, a chair in front of them and, and make the chair disappear. It's called a negative hallucination. And they really don't see the chair. It doesn't register in their mind. Um, they usually have very powerful imaginations, good powers of concentrations. Um, you know, I do all sorts of different groups. People, uh, a common misconception is, you know, that you're, if you're gullible or you're not real bright, um, you're, you're easy to hypnotize. I do doctors, lawyers, CEOs, um, and some of these people end up to be terrific hyp uh, hypnotic subjects. And usually it means they can really, really concentrate well and and simultaneously have really good imaginations. Have you ever been hypnotized yourself? <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. If I hadn't been hypnotized, I wouldn't be able to do it. I wouldn't really know what it feels like. So I think it's important that you have that experience. And it's a really, really good, good feeling. It's a feeling of powerful relaxation, at least with me it is. And uh, a, a real stress reducer simultaneously. And did what was your experience overall? Did you remember uh, how you're hypnotized? What did someone do to you? Do you know anything about it? Yeah, I was in and out, like in the sense that I would hear what they were saying and then I would kind of go off for a minute and go, oh, my God, you know, I'm really out. I'm really this is real. I'm, it really takes somebody good to be able to do that to me because, like, I'm constantly analyzing. Oh, that technique sucked. Are you kidding me? Uh, <laughs> that, that's ridiculous. Don't try that on me. But um, <laughs> when it worked, yeah, it's it's real. It's a real phenomenon. You know, it's um. You know how this all. I I was trying to think the other day, like what I wanted to talk to you about, but 
this all started. Have you heard the term mesmerize? Yes. Okay, mesmerize is it comes from a, a physician in, in Austria in the 1760s, 80s, 70s, 80s, named Franz Anton Mesmer. And he really is the father of Western hypnosis. He he created something called animal magnetism, which he thought was the answer to all diseases and and by Rating the flow of a magnetic fluid in the body, you could cure diseases. And basically, um, he saw a street performer using magnets. They weren't well known. They were called lodestones at the time. They weren't well known that in that time period. And this street performer had a like a, a wand that he used to move the lodestones around. And people were like, oh, my God, how's he doing that? And the street performer says, well, I'll have magnetic fluid in his Mesmer saw this, like the street performer would say, when I wave this wand in front of this person, you'll fall to the ground and you will not be able to stop laughing or not be able to stop crying. And it would happen. And Mesmer saw this and he was like, aha, that's it. He was a doctor. And he said, uh, that's the way you cure people by writing the, the magnetic fluids in people's body. And he, he was the talk of Europe. He went from Austria to Paris and had a salon and 200 people a day would come to get cured. And he couldn't even do it because he was just one person. So he literally, this sounds stupid, but he would hypnotize a tree and he would tell people to touch the tree and they would go into convulsions and become cured because most of their problems were psychosomatic and uh, they would just, they would just be fixed. And uh, Louis the 16th um, wanted to know about this because his wife, Marie Antoinette, was one of um, Mesmer's subjects. So he called all the big, brilliant French minds to figure out if this guy was for real or a charlatan. And he also called in Benjamin Franklin from the U.S. Uh, because Franklin had a lot of knowledge about magnetism and electricity. And they watched Mesmer work, and they, they kind of disproved it and came up with the fact, Franklin said, you know, this, this stuff works, but it's not about magnetic fluids or animal magnetisms. It's about the imagination. And he was spot on. Actually, it's about the power of suggestion. Yeah, that's really interesting. And it does seem, I mean, just hearing you talk, it's, it's, it's not, it doesn't, uh, it's, it's not strange that you're a psychology major because you really do seem interested in the mind. And I was a psychology major as well. So it really resonates with me. What do you say for people who don't believe in it, who don't believe that people can become hypnotized? I think if you go to your show, it'd be hard to think that. But I'm sure people come up and talk to you or have asked you about it. Yeah, I, you know, I've given up years ago trying to convince them. I say, well, it may not, it may not work for you, but you know, it look, works for the majority of people. You just saw. Well, I don't know. I don't know if I believe. I go go talk to the person. Go talk to who's on stage, and they go, you know, maybe it did work. Right. And the people that say to me, I can't be hypnotized because. I don't want anybody controlling my mind or um, I say, great, don't do it. Well, I don't think your mind's too strong. And I said, well, if you got a really strong mind and you want to be hypnotized, wouldn't that work for you? <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess it would. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, you, you've, you've talked about how, you know, certain people are more suggestive. Yep. There are different states and the people with uh, deeper states can have, I guess, a deeper experience or they may not remember it at all. In terms of your act, how far do you think you can go with hypnotism? Do you when you when you when you think about your act, do you battle with this is too far, this is not far enough? Kind of like a comedian with stand-up material. Uh, what what is it like when you're thinking of I guess how to far to go with a subject? Yeah, I really do include that. You saw my show. It's it's clean. It's a PG. I, right. I always put myself in their position. What would I feel like if I was up there and I woke up with my shirt off or you know my pants down or 
some, you know, I spewed some personal information about my life. I, I try really hard to, to not put myself in that position. So I, I don't want people feeling bad they're up there. You know, it's an amazing thing. You don't have to take it too far. I mean, you saw it, you, you know, I mean, it's, it's hard to believe. I mean, I've been doing this for a long time. It's freak. It's hard to believe. And I work with a lot of, you know, corporations and associations and you can't, you know, embarrass those people. Right. You know, you've got, you've got to, you know, make them feel, yeah, it's got to be silly. It's got to be fun. It's got to be amazing. But, you know, you don't want people feeling bad. They were up there. So I, I really try and rein it in as much as I can. Um, I, I was trying to think of things that, you know, I listened to one of your podcasts and I was trying to think of some sports things that I've seen. I'm not a sports psychologist and that's not what I do. I, right. you know, I, I do the performance and I show people how their subconscious can be helping them or hurting them. But I thought of two things I wanted you to, I wanted to tell you today about the power of, of hypnosis or suggestion, yeah. because that's what it is. And when I first started out, Robbie, I, I was doing the lose weight, quit smoking, and I was, you know, I was trying to make a living and impress this psychologist and all this other stuff. And uh, this woman came to me and I hypnotized her and she said after the session, oh, that was really good. She said, you know, I've got a dental appointment in an hour and I'm scared of needles. I'm scared of Novocaine. Give me some suggestions so I won't feel the, the, the needle, this, that, and the other thing. So I don't even remember what I said to her. But many years later, like 10 years later, I had already moved from Illinois. I lived in Decatur, Illinois, <clears throat> to New York City. But I was back in Decatur, Illinois for some event somewhere near there. And I'm walking down the street and she goes, is that Tom DeLuca? And she said, you hypnotized me years ago. And this is fortuitous, she said. But I've just come from the dental, dental office today. And she said, for the last 10 years, every time I've gone to the dentist and needed to have work on my teeth, I've never had Novocaine. I've never felt any pain. And this is at least 10 years. And I said, whoa. And I'm like amazed by that. You know, I'm not saying that happens for everybody. It's probably the exception. And the second thing I wanted to tell you, because you're a sports guy, um, I did a lot of work for this uh, organization called YPO. They're, they're CEOs, Young Presidents Organization. They do these big conferences all over the world. And I did a lot of events for them. And I do my performance. And one day, and they have me the next day trying to do a benefit thing. I was teaching people how to give themselves suggestions, whatever they wanted to. They made up their own suggestion. And that was like nine in the morning. And then at dinner that night, a couple of these people come over to me who weren't in the session and they said to me, are you the hypnotist? Are you the guy that hypnotized Bill so-and-so? And I said, yeah, I guess so. And they go, do you realize that guy went out and shot a 74 today? He's a 15 handicap. He's never beaten me in my life. He beat me by 10 strokes today. I want the mojo. Give it to me. You know? And I will tell you that, A, you know, Bill was probably a lot better than a 15 handicap. You know, his mental game was probably screwing him up. I don't know what suggestion he gave himself. I don't know if I ever shot a 74 again or not. But, um, you know, he was, for lack of a better term, I heard your conversation with a sports psychologist, and you were talking about being in the zone. Right. Suggestion. And hypnosis is, in a way, is like being in the zone, okay? It's like you're, you're, and if you really got the right suggestion, it goes into your subconscious. It really affects you. And you're, you're oblivious to the things around you. It's like, and I'm going to divert here a little bit, but I want you to get a real understanding of it. It's like, what's, what's hypnosis like? What does it feel like? You know, you asked that question in the beginning. You know, it's kind of like 
when you're driving down the highway and you're driving for a while and you're really into the music or you're just concentrating things so much, you miss your exit. Right. Or you or you um, you're reading a really good book and you're reacting emotionally to it. You're not even aware of other people in the room or you're golfing and you're not distracted about doubts, you know, and you shoot a 74. OK, it's kind of like that. And I heard you also uh, with your sports psychologist talk about, you know, being in the flow and being in the zone. And that's that's what happens. That stuff is real with a Steph Curry or LeBron or Jordan or whoever, when they're hitting every shot or almost every shot, everything is focused. You know, it's there. You're not thinking about other things. Your, your adrenaline, your neuroadrenaline, your chemicals are really working in sync. And you're better than you normally are. The basket's bigger because you're so focused. And that's what hypnosis is. It's that focus on one thing, one suggestion. And you preclude everything else. And that's why you, you know, you're the friend of fruit or, you, or you're or you scoring a ton of baskets. It's real to you. You're not diverted. And that's what it is. Yeah, that's a really fascinating analogy, uh, particularly the one where you're driving in the car because I think that's one where – I think everyone can relate where you might drive for five or 10 minutes and you might, you might forget where you're even going because, because you're really not thinking about it. And that, and that reminds me of, you know, in cognitive psychology, they talk a lot about selective attention and, you know, what you pay attention towards. And a lot of times you can miss things if you're focused on one thing over another. And I, I like the sports psychology analogy as well, because, you know, as I talked about with the sports psychologist, just the mental part of sports is so huge. And if you can get into a place where you're really not thinking about much and you're not worrying about making mistakes or worrying about making the next shot, you do become in this zone or flow state or peak performance as you know the sports psychologist mentioned. So I think the, it's a very helpful analogy. and It's fascinating to hear it from your perspective. Um, I did want to wrap this up. A couple more questions for you, and then I'll let you go, Tom, um, if that works for you. Yep. Two, more, two more questions here to wrap it up. You know, I think these are two questions that I think people would be interested in. You know, I, I know your show is always clean. Uh, you always do a great job of finding that balance, finding the humor, and it's all, it's all in good fun. But how far can hypnotism go? Is there, is there a line where it can't go? Um, you know, could you, for example, I'm not saying you do this, but just in terms of human nature, could hypnotism uh, convince someone to commit murder or could how how far can suggestion go to convincing someone to do it? Or I guess a better way to put it, is there a certain limit that hypnotism cannot do? Yeah, there is a limit. And and, and brainwashing is a better way to get people to do things that they don't want to do. Right. You know, you're just constantly pounding a, an idea or a suggestion into their head. You're not using hypnotic techniques. No, you have this you're kind of a moral compass in you. You're not going to do something that's abhorrent to you. And again, when people come on stage, you know, I've seen some crappy shows. I've seen X-rated. I mean, you know, God bless people to do it. I'm not putting people down. But I mean, if you get on the stage with an X-rated hypnotist, you better know what you're doing. You, you, right. you, you know, you're, you're, you know, you know what's going to happen. Okay, so you're shocked about that. Um, and again, people have to know in the back of their mind, there's 100 people in this room or 500 people in this room. What can this guy make, basically make me do? Um, but, you know, you can talk people into doing bad things a lot easier than, than hypnotizing them into doing it. So to answer your case question, basically, if you give something a suggestion that's abhorrent to somebody and they're hypnotized, they're most likely not going to do it unless that's who they are. Right. I mean, I, I do think it's interesting. And I think a lot of times when, you know, one one theme of social psychology is persuasion and getting people good people to do bad things and you know you talked in in one of the things they discuss uh there are many different experiments 
um, back in the day, people wonder of what, you know, how are some people willing to go ahead with the Nazis? And, uh, you know, it, it was persuasion and conform, uh, conformity. And, you know, that was kind of one, that's why, you know, one area of interest for me was, you know, how, how far can you go with hypnotizing versus other persuasion or, or like making someone conform to a cult, for example. Right. And that's, that to me is more brainwashing. Right, right. And, uh, you know, one more question for you to wrap this all up. You, obviously, you, you've mentioned a lot about what you've learned from human psychology, just discussing uh, how suggestive people are, the subconscious. What you, I'm sure you've seen a lot on stage. Is there one big takeaway you've learned from human psychology just through your many years of hypnotism that you didn't know or you didn't appreciate before you started your career? Yeah, I mean, it's it's a basic one in that, that all people are, are high. And most most people are highly suggestible. Most people um, are are um, most people have better imaginations than they think they have. It's just a matter of being able to get to that person to to get them to open up to interest them. That's why storytelling is such a powerful thing. We're all suckers for a good story because you open up that imagination and you almost become childlike in in the way you think. You know, you're not uh, critically analyzing as much, and I think that's kind of a I think that's a good thing for all of us, really, you know, to know that we have that ability and capacity to to open up our minds and, and be um, open to good suggestion. Let's put it that way. Open to good suggestion. All right. Great stuff, Tom. Is there anything you want people to know about coming up? I know you're doing shows all the time. Um, I feel like you're, you're going to go to Lafayette College again, which is my yeah. alma mater. Um, but anything you want people to know about? Yeah. Um, yeah, sure. I mean, um, uh, you know, I. I do lots of different things for, for different groups. Um, it's TomDeLuca.com. That's my website. They can go there and contact me if they have any questions about this. And uh, that's pretty much it. This is what I do. And uh, um, I'm glad to be able to share it with you and your, your audience. All right, Tom. Great stuff. It was really interesting hearing your perspective. Uh, uh, hearing from a hypnotist on human psychology is a first for me. So it was truly fascinating. But you know, as he said, check out your information on TomDeLuca.com. Uh, and Tom, thanks so much for joining me again. Thanks a lot for having me, man. Now let me bring in Duxbury Clippers sports editor in Boston.com and Boston Globe contributor Trevor Haas. Trevor, thanks so much for joining me again. Thanks a lot, Robbie. Always a pleasure. Now, Trevor, it's always good to have you on, especially for the March Madness time, because I know you're a big college hoops guy. And the NCAA tournament is really what I wanted to talk to you about, because you know I've, I've talked about the Celtics a lot on the podcast recently, and they're you know they're they're in fourth place. It looks like they may play the Pacers, but ultimately, until, until they play in the playoffs, I think Boston fans have become a little disinterested in the team, and they've been frustrating. So I'm not even going to go into the Celtics with you this time. The Red Sox are one in five to a tough start. The Patriots have done so. The March Madness has really been the main topic of conversation, I think, in, in Boston. So, you know, I, I think I think we'll start with this. It, it, you know, it's the Final Four is coming up on Saturday. It, it's been an interesting tournament because in the beginning there really weren't that many big upsets. You know, we had some twelve fives, but there really weren't that many big upsets. A lot of the ones, the twos, the threes made it to the Sweet Sixteen, but. For that last weekend, it really started to change, and you know the so Michigan State beat Duke, Texas Tech beat Gonzaga, Purdue beat Virginia. I mean UVA beat Purdue. Sorry, UVA is the number one seed that's still in it, and Auburn beat Kentucky. So you got Michigan State, UVA, Auburn, and Texas Tech in the Final Four. So let's start with the Final Four. Um, you know what are you what are you expecting to see this this Saturday night? 
Well, I want to preface this by saying I really appreciate you having me on, but and I love college basketball. I watch it religiously, but I really truly have no idea what I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> None, none of us do. So you know, that's always I always preface that. So go ahead with that with that in mind. <laughs> I think that I do every year, but I want to just tell you that I'm 231st out of 231 in my pool. So there's that. amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Last year I got third, which was the best moment of my life. So here we are. <laughs> Um, but yeah, no, I think the final four should be great. I mean, there are four extremely talented teams. I think, you know, Auburn's the real story. Auburn was a team that has, you know, can shoot the lights out when it's on, but you know, they're a little streaky and I think they've really peaked at the right time. Um, I have a friend named Sam Blum who covers Auburn, um, full time and he loves this team. I mean, it's just a really fun team to cover there. They have great shooters. Bruce Pearl is a riot. Um, you know, they're a really entertaining squad. So I think if you're a fan who's just kind of coming into this casually, I think, they're the team to root for. And then Texas Tech, of course, plays great defense. It's kind of a unique style. Um, I think it's not necessarily the most exhilarating brand of basketball, but if you like fundamentals and good coaching, that's kind of your, your team there. And then, of course, Michigan State, Tom Izzo, always a classic. Um, a lot of great players this year. Cassius Winston is one of the best in the country. He's really poised under pressure. And then Virginia, I mean, after last year's first-round exit, I think a lot of people thought they would maybe not lose then again, but flame out in kind of the Sweet 16 Elite Eight range um, with a pretty good region with uh, Purdue and Tennessee. But they were able to, you know, win those games to win the games and uh, get to the Final Four. So I think it should be fun. I think if I had to had to pick, um, I would probably take Virginia over Michigan State. But that means you should go Texas Tech over Auburn. <laughs> yeah, you know, this year I was actually doing pretty well, and it's tough because you know, like you, I saw a tweet that you might maybe after the first couple of days. You know, your bracket was already already pretty busted, and usually that's the case for me. But by by the Sweet 16 time, I actually felt like I had hope, which is always the worst thing because then the next day the bracket starts up again, and then one bracket I had UNC and UC's gone, and then I had Gonzaga winning winning at all my other bracket, and then that's gone. So you know, before you know it, your bracket's gone, and it, it's just tough because you never know when to expect in the tournament. That's your first mistake. You really just got to go with one bracket. That's why you always have one thing to root for. <laughs> yeah, you know, I usually go with one bracket, but I, I get so depressed when I, you know, you put all this energy into it, you know, you wait all year for it. And then to have your bracket gone after the first weekend, you know, it's, it's tough, but there's nothing I've ever related to more than that statement. <laughs> it is because all the energy you have, just the anticipation, the, the you watching the conference tournament games before it starts. And then there's a few weeks and there's a selection Sunday and you make the pool and then you're gone a week in a week. <laughs> and it, it, it's tough mentally. So that, that is why I make two is just to stay in it. I wish I liked basketball less because then I just wouldn't watch and I would do well, but it happens. So to talk about these teams uh, specifically, I think it's very it's been very interesting, and in just in terms of the contrast of styles with these Final Four teams, as you said, you know Texas Tech to watch them play against Gonzaga was unbelievable because Gonzaga is if not the best offensive team, one of the best offensive teams in the country, just in terms of points per game, the guys they have, um, uh, uh, Hachi Iwamura, or however you pronounce his name, uh, should, should be should be a really talented NBA player. They just have so much talent, and to see Texas Tech bear down in the second half was really unbelievable and beat Gonzaga. And then you got UVA's defense, and then you got Auburn's offense and Michigan State's offense. So you've got these uh, this contrast between styles here, and it will be interesting to see because I think if if UVA and Texas Tech win, which you know if you I guess if you go by your luck they will, <laughs> then it, you're really going to see a defensive battle in the finals. Yeah, I think it's definitely interesting. I think every permutation kind of presents something different. I think the best game to watch would be Michigan State Virginia because you know like you said Virginia is a team that prides itself on its defense, and that's kind of been the team's identity the last few years or almost a decade. But I think this year's team is definitely more explosive offensively. Um, and teams in the past, you have 
a lottery pick in DeAndre Hunter and Kyle Guy can shoot the lights out. Ty Jerome has probably never made a mistake in his life on the court. Um, Kihei Clark's a really good player too, and Diakite is coming on strong. So I think they have a lot of guys who can, uh, you know, do some damage. But Michigan State is really peaking at the right time too. They, I mean, they're, they were, they've been kind of underappreciated the whole year, at least in my eyes. I kind of underappreciated them. Um, and then all of a sudden you look up and they beat Duke and you're like, wow, this team is pretty good. So I think from an aesthetic standpoint, that would be the most entertaining final in my eyes. Yeah, you know, teams like Purdue and Michigan State, I don't know, for whatever reason, I never go with them for the bracket, and they always seem to go far. So maybe for next year, you know, I decide to change that, and then I'm sure they will lose, <laughs> given my, you know, my luck. But, you know, Virginia is a very interesting team, and I've talked to my friends about this, talked to my dad about this. You know, they lose to the 16 seed UMBC last year, and, you know, you can say that UMBC, you know, wasn't your typical 16 seed. You know, they were very talented, they were very athletic, but... Either way, it, it was really one of the worst losses up there in all of sports because it had never happened before. And it was just, you know, UVA is such a good team to root for. It was, it was really tough to see. And to see UVA make it to the Final Four, it was great. You know, Tony Bennett is a really good coach to root for. They play, the, they play it the right way. They don't always get these top recruits, even though they, do, they, could have, they have some very talented player um, like DeAndre Hunter. But it, it's just it's really nice to see UVA get to the Final Four. And if they win it all after losing to a 16 seed last year, it'd be quite the story. Yeah, that's pretty incredible. I mean, just the fact that they lost last year, you know, that, that definitely lingers in your mind as a player. Like if you, you know, if you play a, a rec league game and you play the team, play one team and then you lose a big upset, you're kind of, you're kind of scarred. And you take that to college basketball where it's a billion times more intense. I mean, you can only imagine the pressure they're going through when they have all their fans behind them and such a great fan base there to actually come back and not just win a couple games, but to make the final four. And then who knows, maybe win it all. That would be quite a story, as you said. Yeah, you know, I've always had a lot of big uh, non-competitive recreational intramural league basketball games, you know, that we can always relate to. And I'm, you know, same, same experience, right? <laughs> For sure. And, you know, I, th- I want to talk about Duke with you. Um, you know, obviously the Zion conversation has come up a lot. Francesa has been a big guy that has criticized or thought he was overhyped. Um, you know, he's, he's a little in between positions, but his athleticism and skill is off the charts. But Duke, let's first talk about Duke a little bit, then we can discuss Zion. Uh, Michigan State, you know, beat, beat Duke, which really shows how talented Michigan State is. But Duke was barely escaping by against UCF, then Virginia Tech. And it really did seem like it was a matter of time that Duke did not get so lucky. But what did you see from Duke's performance in the tournament? Because they were really the, the favorite to go in. Yeah, well, going in, I will say this is the one thing I did predict correctly. I said that, you know, Duke wouldn't be a lock to win it all. Um, Definitely as good of a chance as anyone right up there with Gonzaga, Virginia, UVA, etc. But I think this team was kind of, I wouldn't say flawed because they're obviously a great team, but they're they're a little vulnerable. Um, I think outside of Zion and RJ Barrett, you have, you know, Cam Reddish is an explosive scorer, but I think he really needs those two guys to get him shots. He can't really create on his own as well quite yet. That could come along in the NBA, but, you know, he's kind of a, a third option, a little up and down. Um, you know, Delaria is a pretty good player. Um, Bolden's a pretty good player. They have some guys. And of course, Trey Jones is a great on-ball defender and a clutch shooter. But I think this team kind of, you know, it has its weaknesses. I think they're a little dependent on the main two guys. And I think Michigan State's balance um, and Tom Izzo's coaching really got to them because in the UCF game, you saw that, you know, UCF was just literally one shot away. And then Michigan State kind of, you know, took that to the next level, a little bit more experienced team, and they were able to capitalize on it. So, I think it just goes to show you that anything can happen in the tournament. And, you know, those those two guys and also Radish too could end up being great pros. But, you know, it's just one game and anything can happen. So that's why we like it so much. What do you make of Zion and the Zion debate? And 
obviously this guy is super talented. You know, he he dunks on guys. He he blocks shots like a volleyball player. He can run the fast break. He's a good passer. He's quick. He's explosive. You know, rebounding. He can shoot the outside shot. But obviously, you know, he he's, he is a little bit in between a three and a four. And the hype for this guy is unbelievable. I mean, for me, I I see no reason why he shouldn't be a superstar at the next level. But I can see why there would be some pause to think how would he adjust to the NBA. What did you see from Zion in the tournament and how that would relate to the NBA in terms of is he overhyped? Do you think he can get up to that hype? Because he really is. He's been the most hyped guy since LeBron, probably, in terms of guys out of high school and just his, his physical abilities. Yeah, well, I think the thing about Zion is that he's really, uh, you know, he is the guy who's capable of doing it, if anyone is, because, you know, like you said, he's been kind of like LeBron, but he's he's dealt with that scrutiny his entire life. And look at what he did this year. He wasn't just one of the better players in college basketball. He was arguably the best one. Um, so, you know, he's handled the spotlight. But in terms of translating to the next level, I think, you know, his, his uh, ceiling is probably LeBron and his floor is kind of like a Julius Randle kind of player who wouldn't, right. wouldn't be a bad player, but would still be, you know, a solid NBA starter. So... I expect he'll be somewhere in the middle. I don't think he's going to be a transcendent player. Um, I don't think his passing is as good as LeBron's or ever will be. I think that's the one difference between them. Um, in terms of their pure force and like brute nature, I think that you know Zion could have that kind of effect on a game with his physical dominance. But in terms of his, his vision um, and his kind of his court awareness, I'm not sure they'll ever get to that level or for that matter, anyone's will. Um, but I think, you know, I think he'll be, if I had to guess right now, I would say he'll probably be like an 18, 18 and 9 guy on a good team, um, like the second best player on a team in his peak. That's what I would say. Yeah, I mean, I think there's no doubt he's going to be a good NBA player. Um, You know, absolutely. And guys, if anyone says he's not because he's in between positions, I think is ridiculous. The real question is going to be whether he's going to be able to be that top, top three guy in the league. And that will be interesting to see. But I think the one thing that I've seen from Zion and I think it really shows just based on how the media and fans have viewed this guy, is he seems like a great kid, which is great to see. You know, obviously he struts around on the court and he has a lot of swagger and he and when he blocks someone, he 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 makes you know it. But even with that, everyone's rooting for the guy. And I think it's really telling of his character and the fact that he's been scrutinized and had the media on him since he was a kid in high school, I think is very impressive. And he's only 18 years old. Just how he's handled himself has been very impressive to me. Yeah, I totally agree. I think, you know, people love hating Duke. They, they kind of look for any reason they can. Like, I love JJ Redick, but people just love to hate him and they love to hate him then, you know. It's kind of just like any reason you can. But like you said, I mean, the pretty much the whole country was kind of behind him. It's like you almost wanted Duke to be the villain, but he's really not that guy. So it was kind of hard to root against him. But yeah, he's definitely a charismatic person. Um, I think he has a great personality. He's kind of a mama's boy, which I respect too. <laughs> I'm a mama's boy, so it's great to see. And I think, you know, everyone's rooting for him. So it'll be kind of interesting to see how his game translates. All right, let's transition to the games on Saturday night. We got UVA versus Auburn, as we said, Michigan State versus Texas Tech. Which game are you going to be focusing on the most? What do you think is the most intriguing matchups between these two different games? I think they're both pretty intriguing. I would say probably Virginia-Auburn. You know, like we talked about earlier, I think Virginia is a defensive team first, but I think Virginia is going to have to score against Auburn because Auburn can score against pretty much anyone. Um, they're a pretty talented team. They put up 77 against Kentucky, Kentucky and 97 against North Carolina, which still doesn't really make sense to me, but it happened. Um, so I think Auburn, you have to kind of expect that Auburn is going to be uh, in the 70s, maybe even the 80s against Virginia, even though Virginia is such a good defensive team. But I think the Cavaliers are capable of scoring that many points. Um, I think Hunter is going to be the difference, in my opinion. I don't think Auburn really has a matchup for him without Okiki, um, the guy who uh, tore his ACL. So it's definitely a tough break for him to go out at that point. 
Um, but Auburn's proven us wrong the entire tournament, so who knows what will happen. But right now, I would say Virginia would be the, the favorite in my eyes. Yeah, it's it's just tough to guess with these teams because Auburn, I mean, they've been so explosive. When when they get hot, I can just see a scenario where they're hitting three after three and UVA goes cold and they can't match it. But I'm rooting for UVA. If you had to pick one winner out of the four teams left, what is the prediction going into the Final Four? Um, again, this is not a good thing to follow. So Right. <laughs> but I would say Virginia over Michigan State, if I had to guess. I think, you know, the... They've been the more complete teams uh, most of the season. Texas Tech would have a claim in that as well. Um, but I think Texas Tech is a little bit limited offensively. Um, Mooney's a great player, and Moretti kind of surprises me every single game. And obviously Culver, who will be a lottery pick, is really talented. Um, but I think, you know, I think Michigan State has more guys, and, you know, Cassius Winston is just going to lead them to the promised land. Um, and I think Virginia will win that one. And I think Virginia over Michigan State in a close one that – lives up to the hype. I mean, like we said, the past few games have been pretty outstanding after a sluggish start. So hopefully the trend continues and these ones are entertaining. Well, I hope you're right because I'm rooting for UVA. I just think it would be an awesome story. As I said, I'm a big Tony Bennett fan, just what they stand for. And it would be unbelievable for them to win after lose to a 16 seed. But great stuff, Trevor. Thanks for coming on. Uh, great input as always. And yeah, you know, I can't wait to the final four and I know you'll be watching. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. All right, well, make sure to follow Trevor Haas on Twitter at Trevor Haas. And if you enjoyed this podcast, make sure to check out my other episodes on the Wicked Local North of Boston website or on my social media accounts. You can also follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Robbie McKittrick for the latest podcast information. Thanks so much for listening. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.